You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Mark Mitchell is a former police dog handler. Has worked in the Gulf, setting up and protecting a global logistics company. And now is the national MP for Rodney, as well as Nationals Police Spokesman. He's with me now to discuss the latest spate in gang and gun crime that seems to be troubling our society with a far greater frequency than ever before. Mark, welcome to The Crunch. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Cam. No problem, Mark. Look, we seem to have this moving feast of negative headlines involving gangs, guns, gun crime, violence, uh, gangs taking over the city just this week alone. We're looking at uh, a shooting in Point England, which has cost the life of somebody. We've got uh, a gang killing in Palmerston North, which in, apparently is a de-patching. It seems to be, instead of taking the patch off somebody's back, it looks like they've shot somebody. We've got another shooting in, in the CBD in Auckland a week after we've had the, the terrible tragedy uh, downtown as well. And now we've got on uh, Tuesday afternoon another gang taking over um, Auckland City uh, so they can have a funeral for one of their scumbag mates. What's National going to do about this, Mark? Well, I think number one, Cam, the reason why you've just read out a laundry list of shame for the country that's just um, this week. is because six years ago. Well, that's right. Um, you know, and we've seen headlines around the country just on a weekly basis now in terms of gang violence and firearms violence. I mean, you know, I, I won't even start with the amount of unreported cases, firearms incidents that actually aren't reported through the media. I mean, the day that we had that um, tragedy unfold in downtown Auckland, there was a further fire, five firearms incidents that day that were that went unreported um, in the media. So just to give you a sort of a snapshot and understanding of what our frontline police are actually dealing with at the moment. Look, the reality of it is, is that... Uh, you had a, um, a soft-on-crime Labor government come into power six years ago, and uh, there are only two priorities in our criminal justice system, was quite simply reducing the prison muster by 30% and, um, and repealing the only tough piece of sentencing law that we had on our books, and that was the three-strikes legislation, which, by the way, was working. And so we've got a, a, a legacy of those two decisions, emptying the prisons. Who would have thought that crime would have skyrocketed if you empty the prisons? Oh, exactly, exactly. So that, that, that's one of the few things that they have been successful at doing and set themselves targets on, and that was a reduction of the prison muster, and they've actually reduced that by about 20%. Um, but look, the, the reason why I mention that is because that was the um, ideology that was brought into the government by this government. And um, uh, the, the fact of the matter is they've created a very permissive environment for adult gangs to sort of flourish and operate with impunity. And, of course, you've seen a, a big increase in, in serious violent retail offending by these um, youth and juvenile offenders. And then, of course, the, the other thing they've done is they've victimised gun owners, uh, confiscated firearms, uh, and uh, taken them off law-abiding people, and at the same time brought in this gun register on the premise that it's um, it's going to reduce gun crime. Can you see that actually succeeding the way the police have sold it to us? Well, there's got to be a balance here. So that so it's completely out of balance in terms of this government, without a doubt, have gone after our law-abiding firearms and hunting community, which is a big part of our history as a country. I'm a very keen recreational hunter myself. And um, 
and there's things there. There's a whole bunch of over-regulation. There's things that they've done to sort of target the the part of our firearms community that's not the problem uh, instead of the gangs and the organised crime. The the balancing and the other the flip side to that, Cam, is quite simply this. The evidence that's been given to uh, the Justice Select Committee, which I sit on, is yeah. that it's quite clear that we have got a problem in New Zealand with um, licensed firearms or fire, people that, that hold a firearms licence that are receiving money from gangs that are going into gun stores and buying them on order, straw man sales, and then passing them on to um, unlicensed um, uh, people, uh, i.e. the gangs and, and organised crime. Now, the evidence is that the only way to be able to clamp down that and, and stop that um, straw, those straw man sales is a register. Where if a um, if one of these uh, one of these licensed firearm holders, who by the way, is the the actual the legal the, everyone in our firearms community that actually is doing things right, they need to be protected from them because it's it's they need to be purged uh, because they end up impacting the you know everyone that has a firearms license. Um, but basically, Cam, the register is quite simply this: is that. The only way to stop those straw bin sales is to have the, the firearm registered against the buyer and the police or whoever the regulator might be, because actually I don't feel that the police is the right regulator. There is a clear conflict of interest there. Yep. Um, they are able to go and audit those firearms. And if you've got a firearms license holder that's bought 20 firearms and, and, a, and an auditor turns up and they've only got 10, then there's going to be a fast track into prison. Um, and, and some serious questions asked, where are the other 10 firearms? Because at the moment, they? they're ending up in the hands of gangs. But will they, though? I mean, you know, um, registers have worked, haven't worked anywhere in the world. Canada was was the most famous example. They spent a billion dollars trying to implement their register and then ditched it because it just doesn't stop anything. The second thing about that is that these people who are doing this and converting these firearms are criminals. and we're passing laws to, that are already in place, uh, essentially, to say that you can't sell guns to unlicensed people, but they're doing it already. So all we're doing is... But, well, they, 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 they are criminals, but they're criminals that have got firearms licences. Yeah, but what's going to happen is, and I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen, all it means is that the gangs will pay more money for their guns now because there's a consequence for the person getting caught, and so that person will want recompense for that. And so it's not actually going to stop criminals getting guns, uh, it, but it is going to put a massive amount of paperwork in place, which is all this, the system is already um, creaking and groaning under the the, the changes to the license re- regimes. Um, you know they're spending two hundred and twenty million dollars on the gun register, um, building an empire with which they call a business unit. We've said. Well, we, we've said that those costs seem excessive and we've said that we want a very narrow register um, where there aren't massive cost blowouts and, and it's reasonable cost. But we do want to protect the firearms community by making sure that, that they've got they've got bad eggs in there that have got firearms licences that are buying guns for gangs. And, um, and the register is the one way to be able to clamp down on that. That's the evidence that's been put in front of us. Apparently they've been successful in Australia. And um, and we and unfortunately, like you said, we've got way too much gun violence in this country at the moment. Now we've got to stop the other. Um, you know, obviously there's other supply chains, there's other ways of getting contraband into the country um, and firearms into the hands of uh, gang members, and, and we've got to go after them. But it's clearly when you saw the case for the Bay of Plenty that was reported last week mm. with a um, high-profile ex-international rugby player 
that was given $10,000 by the Comancheros yep. as payment to go and buy a whole lot of firearms. Now, he, he, was, he, has a license, he had a firearms license. Yep. So, you know, within the community itself, many people that I talk to, some of my very good friends up in Warwick who are collectors, they're not against the register because they feel that a register might actually be effective in being able to um, flush these people out, the ones but, that have got firearms licences and are giving everyone else a bad reputation. Yeah, collectors and pistol users have been in a in a register anyway, and, and any one of us, and I'm a collector myself, we can point, and, and, yeah. and this came up in a recent inspection at my house, the police came round and accused me of disposing of a firearm illegally. Yeah. This, this, with that, and this was the existing register in place, and I had, and yeah. they treated me like I was a criminal, and the actual problem was actually at their end in not processing some paperwork, and uh, I w- I had to produce right. the paperwork to show them that they hadn't done their job. And then, but they still treated me like a criminal for about an hour or so, uh, assuming that I had sold a pistol to a criminal. <laughs> so yeah, look, we've, been, we've, we've been very, very, yeah, we've been very clear. I was very clear in a meeting with the minister and the um, police leading the work on the register that um, that the protection of information was paramount and it had to be proven that they could do that, and that would um, that our support would be dependent on showing that they could do that. And of course, two um, weeks after must it, be held securely. Two weeks after it launched, yep, so we've had a data breach. Yep, yep, and and that and that was totally unacceptable. The email that went out. So look, they they have to show it. They're serious about it, and they can yep. do that. And of course, we said the other caveat was around cost. But um, but look, at, at the end of the day, um, Cam, the reality is this: is that the advice that we have got is that this will help make our frontline police officers safer, and it will help make the public safer. And I actually firmly believe as someone that doesn't hold a, a current firearms licence but has in the past and, uh, and has spent a lot of time hunting and rec- as a recreational hunter, yeah. is that this will actually protect our firearms community as well because we want to flush out the ones. We want to flush out the irresponsible ones that are holding firearms licences and buying them on order uh, to the gangs and, and organised crime. We want to get on top of them. And, um, and although I understand that there's some resistance uh, and it's been challenged within the community, and I totally get that, um, there's also a lot in the firearms community that support um, the idea of having a register and being able to to flush these people out. The the, the other issue is this: is that um, is that we're going to appoint a, a hunting and fishing minister. Todd McClay holds the portfolio at the moment, yeah. so that the um, so that our firearms community, whether it be gun clubs, um, which of course are often family intergenerational, um, you know, important clubs as part of the community, or whether it be our hunting and fishing community, feel like they have a strong voice and representation. Um, yeah. Around the cabinet table, um, which which I think they feel has been missing up to this point. Um, been, been so you know, for a but, long but, time, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and look, and by the way, coming back to your situation is that you know I actually strongly feel that um, that the police aren't the right agency to be uh, to be the regulator um, no. because there, there's a clear conflict of interest there, which you can understand because you know they were they're all about they're completely focused on um, on public Criminals. safety, yeah. Um, in yeah. the in the news reports on Tuesday about the Hell's Angel funeral for the ex president of yeah. Hell's Angel, the the police have said that they've invoked new legislation to disrupt gang activity, giving of officers powers to search vehicles and occupants of vehicles of suspected gang members, and this is the important part: to seize their weapons during times of conflict. 
that seems a bit <laughs> ass backwards, don't you think, Mark? Shouldn't we be seizing their weapons at all times? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, you know, this is the government that passed the firearms prohibition order that had no warrantless search powers for police. And uh, both the police association and ourselves at the time through the select committee process said that if you don't have that power for the police, then it's not worth the paper it's written on. It's been um, it's been available to the police now, or it's been available now for the courts to use for 10, 10 11 months, and I think there's been two orders um, used, so it just shows how ineffective it's actually been. Um, but, yeah, the, 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 the point that I'd make here, Cam, is that there's already plenty of laws and, and, and um, you yeah. know, defences contained within the Crimes Act and the Summary Offences Act and, and the Arms Act for the police to act now. Um, but it's got to, there's got to be a will to be able to clamp down and police the gangs hard, and that will has to be driven out of PNHQ yeah. and, um, and then sort of um, down through the districts, and I just don't think that that will has been there. And, and I think also a, a key problem is that the courts don't seem to have a will to prosecute people for gun crime because uh, well, the, we see this yeah. every week. Every week there's a news article about somebody who's done something with a firearm. Uh, you know, firearms owners like myself say, well, well, the maximum penalty for that is seven years in prison, and you find out they've got a slap on the hand with a wet bus ticket, um, a thoroughly soaked wet bus ticket, I might add, and they they don't even end up with uh, often with anything other than fines, and we've got the laws yeah, look, in not, place, but the yeah. courts won't apply them. Look, I'm not going to argue with that. That without a doubt, this government sends signals to our judiciary um, that uh, you know they wanted the prison must be reduced and to avoid prosecution. So, you know, they, 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 and and it, you know they do take. Look, it's very important to highlight that our in our democracy, uh, which is still one of the best in the world. The judiciary is independent, and um, and we shouldn't be interfering with them. And it's very important that they maintain that. But they do take signals from the government today. There's no doubt about that. And this government has very clearly signaled that they want um, that they want slaps on the wrist with a wet bus ticket, and that's what's happened. And, and two of the biggest deterrents for offending is number one, the likelihood of being caught, and number two, the consequences sitting behind being caught. And um, and in this country at the moment. Neither of this, you've got a very low likelihood of being caught and there's no consequences sitting there. And that's a big part of what's fueling this violent crime that we're currently seeing around the country, you know, led by the gangs. You're an ex-cop and uh, I'm pretty sure that the police wouldn't mind having you as their minister. Um, but criminals are not that smart. It, you know, would you agree with that in your experience? They're not that smart. And so... Some are, some aren't. Yeah, I think that you know the the, the reality of, of it now, Cam, is that these adult gangs now are quite sophisticated in the way they operate. Yes, um, but but when a, it comes part down of big to global, um, yeah. yeah, when it comes down to tin tacks, though, they react to signals that they're getting, and if society is saying, "Well, actually, we don't care if we've got a prison muster of ten thousand people, we just don't want those people on the streets." And so if you commit violent crimes, you're going straight to jail for a good long time. And uh, and we don't care if you rot in jail. And then they adjust their behaviour and their attitude. Yeah, so look, you sort of raised sentencing, and, um, and and I didn't really answer your question on that. Look, yeah. the reality is this, is that, is that we do feel very strongly that um, the, serious, the consequences need to match the seriousness of the offending. And one of the things that we have done is we announced a policy about three or four weeks ago that we would cap 
the discounts that the judge can apply to a sentence at 40%. Um, and by that, what I mean is that often when they come in front of a judge for sentencing, they might start with a sentence of six years and then they'll get discount, uh, discounted down for showing some remorse or um, or an early guilty plea or a, or, or a cultural report. And all of a sudden, they're, they're discounted down below the two years and then they're, they're eligible for home detention. And uh, we've seen an increase of 158% of people on home detention in the last six years. Um, still whilst in the at community. the same time, you've seen almost 100 that's right. That's right. And, and a lot of the violent incidents and, and unnecessary deaths, that, homicides that we've had recently have been um, di- directly attributable to people that shouldn't have been out on home detention. Wouldn't having minimum sentences be um, a way to stop the judges discounting? Where you say, well, you've used a firearm in the, co- in the commission of this crime. That's straight away three years in prison. No discounts. No look, possibility of look, doing it. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, Paul Goldsmith has got the justice portfolio. That is under his sort of um, uh, remit. But he has he has come out publicly and said that we will look at the Sentencing Act um, if we need to, to make sure that the, um, that, the, that the sentences are matching the seriousness of the offending. Well, that sounds like a... A, a, a perfect opportunity to make a, a clear differential between the National Party and every other party if you if you actually looked at the Sentencing Act and did consider minimum sentences rather than maximum sentences. Yeah, look, on a personal note, you sort of alluded to the fact that I had a policing career. Very, very proud of my policing career. I spent 14 years mm. in the job, most of it on the dog section and in, in the armed defender squad, and I did that because I wanted to serve my community and I wanted to keep them safe. Just like just about any any police officer that joins the police wants to do, and I have been, um, I have sat by and had a unfortunately had a front row seat, uh, watching this present government take us completely in the wrong direction. I've never seen the levels of violence and lawlessness that we're currently experiencing as a country, and I am determined um, if we are lucky enough to win the election on October 14 to do everything that I can and provide the leadership that I can from the national cabinet to try and turn that round and get us heading back in the right direction in terms of being the safest, being aspirational about being the safest country in the world rather than being an, a, an embarrassment, which we are at the moment. So, I mean, it is an embarrassment, really. We've, we've got you know tourists we want wanting to invite back into the country, and yet downtown Auckland, you, know, you can talk to anybody. Nobody wants to go there anymore. There's just, there's just crime uh, coming out our ears, and there seems to be no willingness to actually um, put rat bags in jail. Well, you know what? The, the funny thing about that, and this has just been always been my own personal um, gauge of how safe a country is, is how safe their capital city is or their or their major city. So mm-hmm. Auckland is, our, is not our capital city, but it's certainly our major international city, and that's how it's viewed and seen. Yeah. And uh, if we can't secure and keep our CBD safe, um, then that's a sad indictment on us. And, and when I say us, it's not actually a sad indictment on us. It's a sad indictment on this Labor government. Um, and, and is it an embarrassment? Look, I was overseas recently for the wedding of one of my best mate's um, daughter. And while I was overseas, um, as normally a very proud Kiwi, uh, we had a potiki taken over by the gangs. And people there were saying to me, how, can, how in New Zealand can you have one of your towns taken over by the gangs? Um, you know, look, the reality of it is, We've just had our Justice Minister um, arrested for um, failing to accompany police. Yeah, doing a uh, runner. You know, I mean, it's just, 
Yeah, and, and look, I'm sorry, but um, on the on the um, international stage, and this was reported all around the world by the media, um, it is a terrible. It makes us look like a banana republic. Um, you, you imagine the comments that would be made if it was a um, if it was a, if it was a British justice minister or Australian justice minister or, or a Canadian or a US, um, you know, secretary. It would be I don't know. It's just for me, Cam. When you look at the those two examples I've given you. Yep. Gangs taking over, uh, you know, one of our provincial towns. Our justice minister uh, winding up in, in police cells. Um, you know, the amount of shootings that we've seen uh, in the last week, we are a shambles um, yep. when it comes to law and order. We've got to get it fixed. And our and our own media excuse it all away, saying that um, the justice minister was a victim of racism and misogyny, you know. Nobody forced you to drink all that well, booze and drive drunk. Well, I'm, I'm not even going to enter into that debate. At the end of the day, what, what I'm quite simply saying is this, is that it's a New Zealand justice minister. And yeah. um, there is no circumstances that excuses that sort of behaviour. No. Wairoa was a gang town when you were a police officer. Was it a gang town when you left Wairoa? So Wairoa always had a heavy gang presence. Um but that Wairau's always had some pretty good local leadership through the mayor, and uh, I used to get called down there on a regular basis, along with um, myself and the other AOS dog handler, Kevin Weatherly, would often get called down there when the gang started to play up. Um, the difference, and we used to get called to Wairau, we used to ask, we used to get called to Apodiki as well. The difference then, came was that when we rolled into town with the dog vans, um, the gangs would scuttle back down to the holes that they'd sort of come from, uh, because they knew that we meant business, and we knew they knew that we were going to give the town that we served a sense that we were controlling the streets and not them. Um, but now, it's uh, you know, I watch with dismay when I see police officers standing on the side of the road, videoing them on their phones um, and uh, providing um, traffic control while they take over the streets, hanging out of their vehicles, sitting on them, abusing, giving the police fingers, abusing and intimidating members of the public. Um, this is where we've got to, and it's completely, totally unacceptable. And National is going to end that. Well, that's the, there's going to be a directive coming straight, firing straight down to the commissioner's office on day one that we are not going to see gangs taking over public roads anymore and law, our law-abiding citizens in this country are going to have their rights um, uh, reinforced rather than the gangs. Maybe we need a commissioner that doesn't have the nickname Cuddles. <laughs> yeah, well, no comment on that. <laughs> All right, on that note, Mark, thank you very much for coming on The Crunch and talking about law and order and the mayhem that's on our streets, and hopefully we get you as the police minister and get you to uh, sort out the gang problems like you used to do in Wairau. Yeah, thanks, Tate. Listen, thanks for having me on uh, to all your listeners, and um, and look, we'll be working as hard as we can to change this government on uh, October 14th. All right. Well, it's not far away, and uh, hopefully we've got something to celebrate uh, with the end of this crime-friendly regime. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Cheers, Mark, Thanks a lot. I want to thank Mark for coming on The Crunch. He's the first National MP to show the courage to come on the show. He certainly showed us a good grasp of the issues that are leading to the crime wave currently enveloping the nation and has the necessary policing skills to rattle the right cages to get some much-needed action. I'm not sure he's on the right track with the gun register, though, so we may have to get him back to discuss that in more details. 
This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy, right here on RCR.